Greetings, Meltopians. If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For $2 a month, you could become a Meltopian and gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim, entries in Meltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For $5 a month, become a feared mailsayer and gain early access to episodes on the Meltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts, and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the ranks of the Melsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters, you can explore our public page which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L- T-O-P-I-A. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Greetings, Maltopians. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. To better engage with you, we'll soon be launching our new Discord, so be sure to sign up for our newsletter at maltopia.com for the invite link and a small thank you gift. And to receive early access to podcast episodes, bonus video content, and more, consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash maltopia. 
Watch our welcome video and scroll through to find public posts that give you a sampling of what you can expect as a patron. Check out our artwork on Instagram and DeviantArt. Connect with us on Twitter and Facebook. And as always, thank you very much for your support. Enjoy. The universe seemed to shed eons like old skin, one sheaf after another, falling away into a vastness beyond calculation. The Mindwalker hadn't expected the length of the trip, penetrating beyond the membrane of the conventional into the realm of the utterly outré. He could only hope his preparations for the return trip would hold, though he suspected the process might require some on-the-spot ingenuity. Holding on to the mind of the woman he'd fed to the Wara, he sped into a place that did not partake of even the smallest shred of recognizable earthly ingredients, save for the merest hint of directionality, the distinct impression of hurtling downward. He took the rapidly shrinking sky for the bottommost portion of a departing universe, his universe, though he wondered precisely how he would lay claim to such an assumption at least not without immediately reducing it to either madness or complete guesswork. Still, the impression endured. While he took the vanishing continuum as his cosmos of origin, there also seemed a part of him that felt familiar with it all, the place he occupied now, the infinite below. A sort of rootless dread that had persisted since the moment he exited the machine seemed calm now. Here, in this place, it felt slack relaxed even. Home. His pondering almost distracted him from the emerging sights, things swelling cosmic and endless from the alien darkness of a goblin universe. In all his experience strolling through the collective thoughts and dreams of all humanity, he'd never seen anything like it. Betwixt the shapes that might have been stars spun from funeral shadows and cemetery shades yawned a galactic canvas of superior blackness and something watched from within it. It was hard to fathom that something so vast could focus its attention upon something as small as himself. Yet he realized, felt, that it was the thing's hunger that made him visible, a hunger so powerful in its ravening that it exerted a force over the things it would devour. It gave off heat as well, and the gravity of the thing's endless appetite felt like being seized by the sun. He could not only feel the clutching blaze of the thing's yearning, but he could hear it. The gnashing of countless jaws, the ceaseless groan of eternally empty guts, 
the slosh of legions of questing tongues. Silas and his human offering tumbled into the unmet hunger of a limitless void. A darkness met them, enveloped them, consumed them. This was the very moment Silas hoped to learn from, the point at which the alien force behind the Carnivian made contact, devoured the human mind. As the woman he'd sacrificed was drawn deeper into the slavering oblivion, the Mindwalker launched the most powerful probe he could muster, absorbing as much information as he could contain. The deluge of imagery was as intoxicating as it was painful. Whatever part of the seething cosmic devourer lurked below the Oversapiens universe was utterly unintelligible, sheer black madness. Yet that part of it which had somehow managed to gnaw upwards into the brighter spheres did indeed hold some form of recognizable logic. It may have been completely alien to the higher universe, but it had lived within it for time immemorial, and not just upon the earth. The hunger, god, thing had chewed holes throughout the cosmos, crawling without stars like a worm from a burning apple, tumbling from the riven bellies of nebulae and stellar systems and galaxies, prowling the universe in search of something, anything to quell its burning bowels. Yet, unlike its more forceful intrusions into the upper universe, the Devourer had been invited. Invited by the Melengen. And thus the Carnivian were born. As Silas focused upon this fact, the accompanying imagery unfurled across millennia and legions of worlds, defining a course through the universe that was both rambling and monstrous. He witnessed a scene wherein a massive machine tower rose above the shifting sands of an azure desert spearing the black swirling clouds that encircled the alien monument as it pulsed and growled. The incomprehensible construct was comprised of the strangest assortment of materials, all glowing faintly under so many alien suns, betokening a composition that could not have been managed from earthen soils. The time frame of the scene was one of supreme ancientness, perhaps occurring even before the onset of life on Earth. The Melengen lurked somewhere within that tower, working unholy powers into freshly knit flesh, bargaining with devils for the loan of their wretched wonders. In this scene, the devil in question was none other than the great hunger below the universe itself. Over the course of much time and peculiar emissions that streaked the strange sky with copious ribboning energies, the complex began to march vast, hideous things from beyond now yawning gates. The Mindwalker watched in rapt fascination, while the curious devils lurched primal and gargantuan across the extraterrestrial landscape, lifting demonic heads to the reddened sky, examining with contemplative eyes and fibrinous stalks and fluted tentacles the strange suns that roiled overhead. The scene advanced in both time and complexity, wherein fierce, gigantic, and armed machines disembarked the soaring complex for the gliding behemoths culling them with terrible efficiency and cruelty, leveling powers that laid waste the world as much as the monsters. The bodies of the fallen were soon reacquired by the forces behind the pylon and transformed for a second time, refined into superior horrors. But here, for the reprocessing of extragalactic beasts, the corpses were taken to an entirely different spire, 
one that had risen over eons during the beast's lengthy evolution upon the bizarre world. The new mechanical complex shook with forbidden powers, releasing sounds more suitable to hell than any terrestrial environment, no matter how alien. The sky dimmed to deepest blood, its vastness clogged with the effulgence of mysterious industry, and the blue deserts rotted to black beneath the septic churn of rivers of manufactured runoff. Finally, the profane process yielded its results, two distinct breeds of calamity. One, discernible by its rapacious hunger as the forebear of the Carnivian, was a thing of countless maws and slavering tongues, with a roar that humbled thunder. The second was a living, boiling lake of blood that surged across the ruined landscape, drinking it in, adding to itself all the living broths it could draw from quivering, mewling prey flesh. The two abominations shared the world between them, piling kingdoms and statuary to their greatness as far as the alien eye could see. In short order, the two devils reproduced themselves in microcosm, spawning new, horrid life from their own bodies, imparting pieces of themselves to certain creatures deemed worthy of their demonic debauchery. The newly minted god-things cultivated legions of monsters that shared their respective hunger and thirst and soon the entire world heaved beneath the tread of these new, terrifying creatures. It wasn't long before the planet became too small for so many. War consumed the world in earnest, the forces of flesh and blood locked in battle for the right to kill and consume, endlessly and without rival. It was the Carnivian, the brute of flesh, that proved the better of the two abominations turning back the scarlet tides of blood-gusting fiends in slow, destructive turns. But what the blood beasts lacked in ferocity, they made up for in cunning, turning strange technology stolen from the pylons upon the Carnivian. As the world pitched violently from the rolling dunes surging across the planet, the forces behind the ancient monolith began yet another secret enterprise, one aimed at the destruction rather than the production of monstrosities. Silas could feel the desperation embedded within the psychic residuum he tapped into, how the unseen masters of the monolith wished to flee the world, to save their skins from the monsters they designed. Even as the first Carnivian, a devouring mountain of cannibal flesh and peerless hunger, rose above the cleverness of his enemies, defying the onslaught of their stolen weapons, its maker had already sealed its doom. A weapon of world-annihilating potency burned through the cloyed atmosphere, blasting to blackest ash the paragonic absurdity of perpetual devouring. This deliberate rebalancing of forces permitted the drinkers of blood to push back the fiends of flesh, and most importantly, allowed the makers of both monster and monolith to flee the world for safer environs. This part of the psychic story left the Mindwalker with an unmistakable impression. Spider Black was on the flight out. Theodore moved as fast as his old body could manage, navigating almost blindly the winding witchways, as he called them, a series of underground passages that, to the best of his knowledge, only he knew about. He discovered them during the early days of his coming to the city as a wrangler of unhelpful ghosts. 
The place was clearly a means to transverse the span of the city without being seen, and there had been made several secret doors leading up out of the tunnels, some emptying into dank basements, others wide fields, and still others hidden caves. Theodore had chosen his home, among other reasons, for the fact that it was a stop along the curving witchways, and could one day prove useful if a hasty retreat were called for. Greg and Sefton followed close upon the heels of the old man, casting furtive looks behind as they went, the fog having followed them all down into the earth. Sefton blazed psychic lightning down the earth and halls whenever the light proved too weak to navigate by, revealing in minute detail the carved, damp spaces. Many of them were streaked with strange writing that looked like blood. There were even small recesses along the route, from which graven statues leered, such creatures a witch might have cause to venerate. But even these occasional tears paled compared to the hushed laughter that seemed to reach from the mist as it tumbled close behind. Theodore paused at a convergence of several tunnels, trying to sort out the proper path. You gotta hurry up, that thing's right behind us, Greg huffed, looking frantically over his left shoulder. The brainstormer moved to the rear of the trio and forced a massive sizzling quantity of mental lightning down the hall they'd just come, hoping he might finally find a solid target in the mist. And yet there was only the laughter and a whisper. Are we confused little rats in the maze? Do not fret, or I can show you the way. The voice was faint, nearly inaudible but to Theodore it felt like a ten-ton truck barreling down upon them. Choosing as best his faded memory would allow, he plunged down the next corridor, comrades in tow. Where, oh where are you off to now, scampering rodents? Didn't I just tell you that I could relieve you of your aimless wanderings. The voice held a note of annoyance, and it seemed closer. When Theodore stopped, the fog had already pooled around their ankles. Well, fellas, looks like I gotta try and sort things out here. Can't have this thing befouling my fine, polished plan. The old man's voice trembled, his courage diminishing by the moment. Greg and Sefton stepped behind where the spirit handler took his stand, their powers at the ready. Theodore took a deep breath and whispered over his shoulder, When I say so, Greg, you pop that slush field of yours. You got it, Theo. Just say the word. Greg whispered back, cracking his neck in preparation, sweat running down his face. The fog wrapped around them like tentacles as the room slipped from view the blue light of Sefton's electric halo dimming. Theodore could feel the haze begin to solidify, an alien grip materializing from the ether. There, there, my little pets, the phantom voice cooed. I told you I would show you the way, and I mean to do just that. The words fell from the thickening fog in tandem with what felt like thousands of little teeth pressing into Theodore from every direction. Now, Greg, the spirit handler yelped into the hungry gloom. The slush field bloomed into the narrow passageway, and the space shimmered a sickly green in the cold glow of Theodore's ungloved, skeletal hand. 
I think we've all had about as much of you as we can stand tonight. The old male sapien closed his hand over the semi-solid coil of toothy fog and yanked at the thing's very soul. The carnivian spirit felt gray and ghastly in his bony hand, squirming and caterwauling as it tried to twist free. Hedging his bets with the added assistance of the slush field, Theodore hoped to better resist the creature's attempts to pull away. And indeed, the slush field seemed to slow even the movements of the monster's soul. Looks like I'll be the one that'll be escorting you out of this here place, my ephemeral friend, Theodore crooned, tightening his grip. Pulling with all his strength, the spirit handler tore a twisting length of the creature's bestial soul from its quasi-corporeal flesh. After the thing's hellacious wet scream had rendered down to simmering echoes, a sallow stretch of spiked skin unfurled from the darkness, quivering and corkscrewing like a freshly pulled earthworm. The solidified steaming limb soon went still, as the remainder of the monster retracted the surviving portions of its body and soul, a movement so quick and forceful that the wind of its departure almost knocked the trio from their feet. Greg and the Brainstormer had never laid eyes upon the ghost chamber, the experimental device the company had entrusted to Theodore when he first arrived. It was designed to hold the spirit, and even tap power from it, a function Theodore only used to power his modest home. The two wanderers seemed to buckle beneath the dour gaze of the imprisoned witches, or rather, the ghosts of the Kettleston witches. The device dominated a large back room in what was left of Theodore's house, and the awful glow of the thing settled tangibly across their skin, raising hackles and gooseflesh alike. The wrinkled spirit handler walked up to the transparent dome of the device, where old Mead Havila stared holes into him, the elder witch, the warder of the Gru Baron. Theodore studied himself before looking her in the eye, well, my dear, looks like you and yours is finally going to get what you've been after. I'm going to let you go, and you can finish whatever foul work you and those sisters of yours been up to. How's that strike you? You old sweet snake, Theodore. Nothing would make us happier. The wraith hissed, eyes burning. Why... The doom we had a hatching would turn your white hair back to brown. That's for damn sure. The witch paused and grinned a mouthful of crooked, pointed teeth. But we ain't simple, Limpanil. What dog you got in this here fight? The old male sapien shrugged. There are all kinds of dogs in this fight, my dear. All I want you to do is kill them all. Now... If you and your fine sisters just spare me and mine in the process, why, I'll see y'all sprung in a jiffy. I'll even do in this here old machine. Make sure the company doesn't have anything to put y'all in should they ever come a-hunting for you. Old Mead's smile nearly stretched off her grisly face. I think you and I's got ourselves a right and proper compact, we do. Yes, indeed. We'll see all those dogs of yours 
cut and skin by first light, we will. And then we'll spring a hell, the likes of which the devil himself might come out to dance to. The trio of Malsapiens winced beneath the dead witch's laughter as it rose like a doom on All Hallows' Eve. We'd like to take a moment to thank the following patrons for supporting this episode. Nick, K. Davis, G-Man, Andrew Knott, Thesis Ascendant, David Gregory, Noondoo Toast, Ian Hagen, Jonathan Schenk, Kurt Kornfeld, Deborah Carpenter, and Sarah Anzalone. 